Hey, this is Karen, Coach's Corner Chats, and joining me is Sam Thomas. Sam, where are you at and what are you up to? Uh, I'm just outside of St. Louis, Missouri, um, here at Principia College, um, and we're mid-season right now, so it's it's the fun time of year, you know. We we got our daily practices. We hit the road tomorrow um, heading down to Mississippi. We got a new team in our conference um, that's a bus ride away, so we're excited to be on the road um, for our first big road trip of the year. Um and when we get back, uh, we got the weekend free, so we got a couple recruiting opportunities coming up. So it's it's that time of year. It's busy, but it's the fun busy. I was just going to say, how does the middle of the season differ from maybe the beginning of the season? Um, you're in more of a groove, um, especially with our group this year. We're very young. Um, any game, we're starting usually six or seven freshmen right now. Um, and so at the beginning of the season – it's, it's a lot of – everything's always growth opportunities, but especially when you're that young, it's really emphasizing patience and process. Um, you know, we always try to emphasize process over outcome, but when you know there's going to be that steep of a learning curve and that many opportunities for, you know, things to go wrong and opportunities to frame it as learning opportunities instead of failure, then um, – you know, it's, it's a bit of a different animal <clears throat> that early in the season. And then in the middle, you start to hit your rhythm, your stride. Um, and the things that start popping up might be, you know, some midseason knocks. Um, you know, we're carrying a couple of those, those right now. Um, and especially in conference, um, you know, the, the, the outcomes, they don't matter big picture um, as much, but they matter, um, you know, in general. You know, you don't – no one – signs up to, to play sports with the expectation that they're going to lose every single day. So um, it shifts, but it's, um, it's all, uh, it's hard to describe. It, it's, it's just, it's a constant evolution, I guess. Every year you kind of go through this, this growth period, this process, you hit your stride, you hit some bumps, you hit your stride again. Um, and the goal is always to be hitting stride by postseason. So. And how long have you been at Principia? Um, so I graduated from Principia back in 2012 and then um, have coached a bit of here, there and everywhere and came back spring of 22, right? Yeah, yeah. Came back spring of 22. So fall of 22 was first fall season. And then we're, we're in season number two right now. What was the the first thing that you try to put into place when you came back and started coaching again at your alma mater? Well, normally my answer would be culture, but they already had that. Um, it was normally when you go through a coaching transition, um, you got, might have some dissatisfied players. You might have, you know, some people who, you know, really liked the old coach or some people who didn't like the old coach. And, um, you know, it's, there, there's these, there's baggage that comes with transition and, there really wasn't any. Um, the biggest thing that we wanted to get in was um, that next level of soccer play. Um, uh, the The previous team was very heavily culture oriented, which is why culture was so phenomenal when we came in. Um, but uh, maybe at the expense of you know uh, soccer specific things. So that was that was the the thing that I discovered, I had a whole plan for how I wanted to bring things in and they were already set in that arena. So we had the, we had to pivot, but um, it's been, it's been good. Uh, we've got a really receptive group uh, last year they were, and this year they are again. So it's been a lot of growth in a very short time. 
what's that like as a coach when you have to, like you just said, pivot, how hard is that ego wise? And <laughs> like I'm trying to make my own program and the direction, but you're like, I might take and build on what was already here. Um, honestly, there's no ego to it for me. Um, I don't think coaching is ever about me. It's very much about the group and their experiences and their, their opportunities to play and learn and grow. Um, I think if you're in coaching for you, you're either Josie Mourinho or in the wrong profession. Um, and, uh, and so for, for me, the, the pivot thing, like that's, it's easy uh, at all times throughout the year. I think we have to, as coaches, be prepared to change a practice session, change, uh, you know, recruiting conversation, um, just pivot on a dime because if you're not adaptable and flexible, then, um, you know, you'll, you'll find struggles. Um, and, you know, the, the thing that it's, it's very easy for me to remember because of the people I'm surrounded by, it's never about us. It's always about the, the group, the team, but especially the experiences of these young women. Um, you know, they, it, it, it's, it's a very quick four years. You know, we get 25, 30 years of coaching it <clears throat> if we're lucky, um, but they only get four. So um, the goal is never for them to think that it's about us in any way. You mentioned graduating in 2012. Let's yeah. go even before that. When did Sam, when did the soccer player Sam start getting into the mix <laughs> of things? Um, uh, pretty early. Um, so my parents, I have three brothers, one older and then my younger brothers are twins. And in a active four boy household i think our parents were looking for any opportunity to wear us out so they threw us <laughs> in every sports activity they possibly could whether it was soccer baseball basketball which three out of the four of us played through high school um if it was swimming and water polo which is what my older brother did um you know tennis camp golf camp you know whatever we're playing kickball and street hockey in the neighborhood with the, with the neighbors it was just get outside wear yourselves out um and and have fun and so through high school, um, I played soccer, basketball, and baseball. And then because I went to a small school, I was able to actually kick for the football team my senior year. Um, but that was never going to be a career. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and then in college, it was still soccer and baseball. Um, baseball was very much the one that I latched onto the most when I was younger. And then um, um, wound up pitching my arm out my sophomore year and, and, Soccer was still there for me. And that was kind of when soccer became the, the focus for me. It was my junior year in college, which is very late for a lot of people. Um, and didn't really have concrete plans uh, of continuing on with coaching. But it just so worked out that my goalie coach got a head coaching gig um, the same time that I was graduating and dragged me out to Oregon to be his assistant for a season while I was figuring things out. And... Uh, and I just fell in love with it. It was a blast. Um, so I, I lucked into the best profession on the planet. You talk about making the move to Oregon. Where was home, like, uh, in, in terms of, like, when you were growing up? Yeah, born and raised in St. Louis. So Principia being about 45 minutes outside of St. Louis, about an hour from where I grew up um, in West St. Louis. Um you know, I, I went to college pretty close to home and it's nice to be back. Uh, my parents still live here. Two of my brothers live here. Um, you know, I've got friends for life in the area. So it's, uh, I've coached in Oregon a couple times, coached in Virginia. Um, and to be, to be in the area that's familiar, that's family. Um, 
It's wonderful. Yeah. That first move out to Oregon, you just talked about family. How hard was that for you to make that jump and go? Not too hard. I think um, I'm one of those people who loves uh, chasing adventure and opportunities. And so when, when the opportunity came to, you know, go, uh, try and make my way with, with barely any money in my pocket. Um, and just, you know, the first, <clears throat> the first two weeks I was out there, um, the, my goalkeeper coach, who got the head job. Um, we didn't have a, a place to live locked down. So we actually slept on a couch on a porch outdoors, um, on this guy that we found, um, on Craigslist. Um, while we were figuring out our accommodations um, and then the house that we could afford with, with our very measly paychecks. Um, if you put a marble on the floor of my bedroom, it would roll out the bedroom, down the hall, out the living room and into the kitchen. Um, you know, it, I, I, I enjoyed those kind of adventures. Um, I had an air mattress for the first two years after I graduated because um, it was just up and move, up and move, up and move. Um, and uh and I had no problem with it. I loved it. So it's, I think as I've aged, I've wanted more to be home and be connected, but especially in those early years, I was, I was enjoying the chase. When you talk about enjoying the chase and dealing with, you know, those types of scenarios, how, how does that help you as you became more and more into the world of coaching? Like what things did you take away from that experience led you to like, all right, I know I can get this coaching thing done. Yeah, I think, I think there's a, there's, there's a couple things. I think the first thing is you get to experience a lot of environments. So you get to see a lot of people work, um, you know, being able to, um, observe, uh, a lot of people do a lot of things, whether they're doing right or doing wrong. You know, if you can be a sponge and learn from it, you'll, you'll benefit. Um, and then I think it also gave me a sense of empathy for student athletes that are traveling, that are going to school away from home that have to, you know, when I was, um, in Virginia, I was coaching at ODU. Um, almost every single one of our conference games was a flight. And for a lot of those student athletes, flying was uncomfortable or being on the road studying was uncomfortable. And it gives you a sense of empathy for, you know, what people are going through when you're, you've had that, that, that getting dragged around thing. Um, and then I think the final thing is it just exposes you to different parts of the country and the world. Um, I've, I've been very fortunate to travel um, when I was younger, uh, especially for baseball. And I think the more you get to see of the the places that you are recruiting from, the better understanding you'll have of your recruits, their families, their backgrounds, um, and and kind of what what's formative for a lot of people. And I think that is huge in the connecting uh, that we all, all of us coaches try to try to find with our players. So you're starting out in Oregon. What's the the level? Are you coaching women in, at this level? Like what? And you look back at that way back then. What was that experience like in terms of coaching? Yeah, I think it's it's a pretty typical like get coaching started thing. Um, I got dragged out there to be the women's seasonal assistant. So I was getting a thousand dollar a month stipend um, at Oregon Tech. So it's an NAIA school um, playing in the CCC and. Um, and it was, you know, a lot of coaches start with not a whole lot and it's part-time or, or seasonal. Um, and week one, the men's assistant, <clears throat> oh, sorry, the women's assistant came over. I started with the men. The women's assistant came by and he goes, do you want to help out with our goalkeepers too? Because I was a goalkeeper. And so 
he goes, do you want to help out with our goalkeepers too? And I said, I'd love to. He goes, you can have the, the stipend available here. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm rolling the cash right now. <laughs> um, and that's what I felt like at the time. Um, and uh, I can afford more than ramen. This is great. Um, so yeah, I did both the men and the women for that season. Um, uh, with the men, I did more than just goalkeepers. I was more of, uh, of an assistant uh, for the team. For the women, it was predominantly goalkeepers. Um, but it was a blast. I mean, we both programs were under new first-time head coaches. I was a new first-time assistant and goalkeeper coach. And as you can imagine, the learning curve uh, was extreme. It was, it was fun. Um, the people I met out there were amazing. Um, and I'm still in touch with a couple of the players uh, from the team. So um, nothing but positive things and experiences from that time. Was that experience the moment where you thought, I think coaching might be for me. You even talked about it, it wasn't really on the radar, but this guy gave you an opportunity. And like you said, I chase adventure. A hundred percent. I mean, <clears throat> the, the way I described it at the time was if playing soccer or baseball, but especially soccer, playing soccer was, you know, a hundred out of a hundred enjoyment for me. Coaching was a 99 out of a hundred. It was, it was as close to getting to be there out on the field, flying around in goal every single day. Um, and it, there was, there, there's such a there's such a joy you get from watching these um, at the time they're almost my age they're almost peers but there's such a joy you get out of watching others you know succeed and thrive and grow um, it's I still get it to this day um, I think as soon as I cease to get excited about that then maybe it's time to, to step away but it's just as exciting now for me as it was then um, and I think it, it just it just hooked me right away yeah I don't have any other words for it so you get hooked, you're at tech, where do you go from there? And then what's the impetus to move on? <laughs> yeah. So because it was just a seasonal thing, um, as soon as the season ended, uh, the paycheck was going to end. So it was like, all right, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta find something else. Um, so I moved back to St. Louis, um, and I got a, um, a seasonal assistant position at the high school I graduated from, um, in St. Louis. And so I did the boys, uh, I was assistant for the boys soccer team in the fall and the girls soccer team in the spring. And then while I was there, I had a photography and graphic design business. Um, I was director of goalkeeping for a local soccer club. I volunteer assisted for a D2 and an NAIA program in the area working with their goalies. And so it was one of those like, <clears throat> you know, a typical get your foot in as many areas as you can try and make ends meet with the, you know, high school assistant paychecks that you're getting. Um, and then from there, uh, I was lined up to be a seasonal assistant again for a local D3 in the area. And one of these schools out in the same conference as Oregon Tech, Eastern Oregon University, uh, they called and their head coach had taken a job about a week and a half before preseason. And they had called around the conference and the Oregon Tech coach had answered and said, yeah, I got a guy who might be interested in the interim head job. He's young and energetic and passionate and um, he might be available. So I talked to the <clears throat> the head coach who I was going to assist and he goes, take it. He goes, you might not feel prepared, but you'll learn more in five months out there than you're going to learn working under me in the same period. Um, you know, you'll fail, you'll get it, you'll get things wrong, but you will learn a ton. And he wasn't wrong. Um, I had a great time at Eastern Oregon. Um, they have since become a NAIA powerhouse, and it's so exciting to see that program really take off. 
Um, but I learned so much. I learned um, immediately that I was not prepared to be a head coach at 25. I did not know what I needed to know. And so every year after that was kind of chasing that knowledge. What do I need to know in order to step back into that kind of role and actually feel prepared and competent and um, like I can actually be of best service to the program and the players. So everything that followed was kind of chasing, you know, getting, getting everything I needed to get back to being in the position to step into that role again. One of the things that stands out for me is one, the coach that took you to Oregon tech initially, and then says to you, Hey, I think that you'd be great for this position. And then the other coach you were about to coach with is like, yes, go for it. How important has that having people in your life that are like, go for it, put yourself out there, learn. If you fail, hop back up and keep rocking and rolling. Uh, it might be one of the most important things that I, I've had in my corner. Um, and it's really informed how I talk to the players that play for, with me and, and their opportunities as well Is that's my message to them. And I never really thought about it until you just brought it up about how <laughs> central that is of go for it. Like, yeah, you might fall, you might stumble, you might get it wrong, but you'll pick yourself back up, go for it. Um, and my parents thinking about it, my parents are very much that way too. They were, whether it was a sports or whether it was with like art or music or anything, they were just like, try it. If you don't like it, if it goes sideways, that's fine. You'll pick yourself up. You'll dust yourself off. Um, and you'll find something else or the right thing. You just keep going. Um, and, uh, e even after those periods, um, I, I spent three years at SIUE as a goalkeeper coach and assistant, um, which is D one here in the St. Louis area. Um, and the head coach there, Derek, he was very much like that within even the season when it came to practice plans. If he was like, if you've got a drill that you want to run, go for it. Like run it by me. Let's talk it out. Let's make sure it's it's functional and what we need but i'm going to step back and i'll let you run it and we'll chat afterwards and if you said something wrong or you got something wrong your dimensions your timing whatever it was we'll debrief and this that and the other and i think that was incredibly important too because he gave us autonomy but support it wasn't just here go fail it was here go try this thing i'm going to set you up to you know succeed with with your preparation but it's on you and you're going to learn uh, uh, in process. And I think that's the best way to learn. I think most athletes do learn best that way by doing things, you know, the best soccer players aren't great because they watch a lot of film that helps, <laughs> but they're, they're spending time playing. Um, and I think, I think that was absolutely formative for me. You talked about being in Eastern Oregon and realizing like, like there's a lot to learn and you going out to get that knowledge, what does going out to get that knowledge look like at that point? <laughs> um, it looks like taking jobs and then listening. Um, uh, you know, at, at the SIUE job, I didn't feel prepared to be a division one assistant. Um, I, I felt prepared to coach goalkeepers, but everything that came with recruiting and fundraising and, you know, uh, running a program and, um, being a member of a division one department and the academic side of things and the rigors, it, it was a huge leap because I, I played at the D three level and it's just a different animal. Um, and I think, um, going into that with the mindset of, I'm just going to be a sponge. Um, you know, uh, that, that was the advice I was given 
more or less. I'm not going to take credit for that. I was told, <clears throat> go in that environment and be a sponge. Just soak everything up. Listen, keep your mouth shut. And, you know, when it's, when it's your time to speak, speak up, speak confidently. But, um, and yeah, three years there and then two years at Old Dominion in Virginia and just trying to surround yourself with people who know more than you do and contribute when you can. And if you can't, then just soak it up. Um, and there was a lot that I had the opportunity to soak up within those five years. Um, and I worked under two really, really, really good coaching staffs. So it was a blast. Your experience being out West and then kind of more central and then going over to Virginia, is there a different vibe in terms of the way that you have to deal with coaching? You know, you kind of hear about East coast versus West coast. What, is there a different style and, and kind of look and philosophy that you see? through those experiences that you've had? Um, I'm sure there is. It is. It's difficult to specifically say because I think out West I was working with, you know, not that the divisions are the be all end all of things, but the level that the schools I was coaching at within the NAIA at the time was, you know, mid to low tier. Um, both, both Oregon tech and Eastern Oregon university have, you know, gone to NAIA tournaments and, I think EOU um, has been pretty frequently in the final four since then. So, but, but back then it, it was um, not what it was now. Um, and, you know, the jump to the division one, I, I think a lot of the culture and the mindset had a lot more to do with that. Um, I think also the culture and mindset kind of has to do with what's around as well. Um, I've worked in departments, Midwest, East, West, wherever, and, you know, you talk to, to coaches and friends and, and people in your network who have been around too. And I think there's very much a top-down environment that gets created, whether it is West Coast or East Coast, um, that stems from president, AD, head coach, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and those different environments set more of a tone. Um, I'm trying to think more towards recruiting conversations because I think that, you know, the, the conversations that recruits and parents – might have and what you might experience at tournaments and stuff. Um, East coast recruiting conversations felt faster. It felt more, you know, uh, there's a lot more schools in the area. There's a lot more competition for scholarship. There's a lot more competition for minutes. Um, there's a lot more people that are trying to get from A to B quickly. And West coast wasn't as fast as rushed as fast paced. Again, a lot might have changed in the 10 years since I was out there, but yeah. You talked about S-U-E-I-R-E in uh, Old Dominion being really, really good coaching staffs. What made them, in your eyes, so good? Um, oh, for very, very different reasons. Um, <laughs> yeah, at S-I-U-E, it was, it was uh, an execution, I guess, a mentality of – you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna learn and grow. Everything is a process. Everything takes time. But when, when games roll around, you're going to find a way, you're going to find a way to implement what we work on. You're going to find a way to win. Um, SIUE has been to, I don't know how many NCAA tournaments in the last 10 years, uh, maybe six ish. Um, they keep winning the OVC and they keep going to the NCAA tournament. Um, and when I was there the year before I arrived, they lost, I believe in overtime to Kentucky. 
when I was there, we advanced past Notre Dame on PKs. The year after that, I think they had a one, not the year, two years after that, I think they had a one zero to maybe Virginia Tech or UVA, one of them. And, and it's every time it's a close game. Um, and uh, it's there, there's a, there's a mindset that's instilled. Derek Burton is the head coach. And he's, he's great. Um, and there's a comfort and a familiarity with that execution and that competitive mindset. And it, it stems through the team and the team feels it. Um, there's a, a relaxed sense around practice. It's not, it's not sloppy. It's just, this is, this is comfortable. We can do this A, B, and C. And then when games roll around uh, a switch flips and you're just, you're, you're there to compete. Um, at ODU, um, the, it was about preparation and detail and development and excellence. And Angie and Michelle were the associate, were the head and associate head coaches there, Angie Hind and Michelle Barr. And they were both UEFA A licensed coaches and they, you know, both from Scotland. And there is a very um, much more European background and philosophy behind the training, the development, the scouting, the recruiting, the execution, the detail with which um, our preparations were even just for within a drill um, were, were so fine. And that opened my eyes to how much you can actually coach young adults they can receive so much more than a lot of coaches I've seen give them credit for. Um, now there is, there's, there's a load, there's a threshold to that because they're also going to class for, for six hours a day, but the, the demands that we were able to put on them with learning, with growth, with development, with execution and the standard that it was held to was higher than I expected. Um, and the results followed. Um, that program has gone from strength to strength. Um, and uh, yeah, so so very, very different things to pick up on as a young coach in both environments, but both incredibly crucial for, you know, elite performance in very different ways. So you're at ODU. Where does Sam go from there? <laughs> um, I wanted to go back home. Uh, I think that was finally the point when, you know, I, I'd been around the country, I'd traveled, um, and, you know, I, I wanted to be back connected to family. And so I started looking for head coaching jobs close to home. And Quincy University had opened up. It's a D2 located about two hours north of St. Louis. Um, and uh, I, I was familiar with um, one of the coaches who had been there previously. And I, I spoke with him and he had nothing but great things to say. And so I, I interviewed for it and was fortunate enough to get it. Um, and that was, uh, December of 19. And then in February, everything shut down. And so, um, a couple months into my first, you know, feeling like I, I knew what I needed to do, uh, feeling like I knew what I needed to know in order to become a head coach. Um, you know, I, I was faced with what everyone was faced with, which was, okay, none of us have dealt with this before. How do we adapt and learn and and adjust and, and keep, keep on, keep on keeping on. Um, so that was, you know, not that I thought I knew it all, but I thought I knew enough. And then, you know, life throws you a curveball. So, um, but that, that COVID year was hugely formative and, and huge in growth for me. Um, and, 
you know, being, it was almost a benefit in some ways in order to basically get a team and, and have the clean slate of no one's really going to school. No one's playing games for a fall. Everyone's waiting for spring. You basically get a free training season with a new team to, to instill culture, to instill methodology. Um, you know, a lot of coaches get those head jobs over the summer and you get two weeks of preseason and then you're in games. And I had the fortune of a, a full, a full fall season before spring rolled around. So got fortunate there um, <clears throat> and had two good years there. Really enjoyed it. Um, and then um, the head position at my alma mater opened up and it was too good to say no to It's It's even closer to home. Um, it's an environment that gave me so much. And the idea of giving back and being a part of it is just, it's so fulfilling. It's wonderful. Um, and it's been everything that's been promised. It's been wonderful since I've been back. When you look back at your first stint as a head coach and you say you're overwhelmed, what was it that gave you the confidence going into Quincy and now at Presympia? <clears throat> that's a great question. I think a big part of it is knowing how to deal with situations with student athletes and young adults. I think when situations arose outside of just running a session, um, when it came to academic situations or discipline situations or injury situations, mental health situations, family situations, every single one of those was, I felt unprepared for. Um, and just over time, you get more comfortable with those kinds of things and you see the coaches you work with and how they handle it, how they communicate and lead, um, you know, um, and you get more comfortable. And then the second thing was recruiting. Um, I was completely unprepared for the recruiting demands when I got that interim job. Um, and so, you know, five years with the recruiting demands at the division one level, it, 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 it whips you, it shapes you up to speed pretty quickly. Um, and so, I think when I finally felt comfortable dealing with those non-coaching specific situations and comfortable with recruiting was when I was like, okay, I think I can A, build a program and B, maintain a program. When you talk about the recruiting demands, what what is the recruiting demands? Like for someone who maybe <laughs> doesn't understand, maybe they're looking at maybe making that jump to division one. What's What's that look like? You talked about having a game uh, this week, but then you're going on recruiting uh, visits over the weekend. What's What does that look like for a coach at your level? Uh, time and attentiveness, really. Um, it's something you just have to stay on top of. And when you're in season, um, you have to keep checking in, um, whether it's taking a little bit of time to go watch some games or, you know, send some text messages to some some people who've come by campus Um you know, uh, I've got a community college right up the road for me. So dropping by to watch a game or two of theirs during the year. Um, it's it, in season. It's, it's different off season. It's a labor of love. Um, you know, boots on the ground make a big difference. Um, when kids see you at their games and, and they get to chat with you um, after having seen you there. Um, and then just the upkeep of, you know, continuing to realize that the recruiting doesn't stop. And, and there's, a, there's a difference between making time for personal life, like recruiting isn't a 24 seven gig, but it's definitely a 365 day a year gig um, where it, you just have a constant upkeep. Um, whether it's being aware of showcases and events, camps, this, that, and the other, 
but especially being aware of where your recruiting class is um, and staying on top of that and continuing to develop and grow. And it's different each division I've coached at because the timetables are different. Division one obviously is a lot earlier in the recruiting cycle than division three. Um, but just because you're starting later doesn't mean that 360, you know, 365 day doesn't stop for you. It, 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 it continues. Um, but it's, it's honestly, it, it was one of those things that I was scared of when I first started coaching because of the uncertainty of it all. But now I, I know that it's really just an opportunity to get to know people. And that's why one of the things I love about coaching anyways, is just getting to know people. And a lot of these high schoolers, they're, some are very confident in their recruiting calls. Some are very nervous. I just find it to be fun. I, I just love getting to know people and, and you get to know their personalities, their interests, their passions. And, you know, you get to know pretty quickly if your school is going to be, you know, good, neutral or bad fit for that young adult. Um, and then from there, it's just, you know, how does this person fit in our environment, our program, in our system? Um, and that discovery process is a blast. He's talked about 365 days a year. What does, is soccer in Sam's head all the time? Or what, what <laughs> things do you do to try to get away from, you know, the constant grind that is coaching? Um, it's, it's interesting you use the word grind because it very much felt like a grind for a lot of years for me. Um, and I think COVID was the first time when things were shut down and I was locked in my house for two weeks that I couldn't, I couldn't recruit. I couldn't coach practice. I couldn't arrange sessions and watch film. I just taken a job. We had, didn't have any games I could watch film on. Um, I couldn't do anything. It was just shut down. And I had never had that. I played three sports in high school, two sports in college. I had never had time to just slow down. Um, and I guess I don't like free time because I went and adopted a dog. Um, and then I had a puppy in the house. Um, but that's one of the things that I discovered I enjoy. I really enjoy, you know, taking my dog on adventures, on walks, on hikes, um, you know, especially when they're puppies, it's fun to train. Um, but that, that's a really fun switch off from, from soccer for me. Um, and my players now, they refer to her more or less as my child. Um, she gets, she gets the lion's share of my attention that if she's, you know, it's either the team or her. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, that, that's very much it. And then the other thing for me is I was a graphic design major in college. And so um, in a lot of different programs I've worked at, I've done more or less the, the social media work for, for the teams. And um, so at SIUE, ODU and Quincy, you know, running the social media accounts, doing the graphics, it's, you know, it's team related, but it's not soccer specific so much as it is scratching that itch that I enjoy. Um, being here at Principia, um, you know, I have a seasonal assistant. Uh, he's one of our education professors here. His name's Galen Benson, and he is amazing. Um, but he's got a full-time teaching job. He teaches uh, courses. He's an academic advisor. He's got kids and family. And so, you know, his the, the demands of his assistantship here don't extend to recruiting. They don't extend to social media. So um, I don't so much have time for the graphic design anymore. And we've got wonderful graphic designers in-house that do things. So um, I get that free time back now which is nice sometimes. What is it when you're talking about recruiting and the conversations, what is it about Principia that you sell to recruits when to come there? What was it that you fell in love with maybe as a player 
you know, 10 plus years ago and now to come back, what is it that you just kind of share with players that says this could be the place for you? Environment. Uh, easiest answer I can give. Um, it's the thing that I found immediately when I was there. It's the thing that I missed when I left. Um, and it's my, been my favorite thing since coming back. Um, Principia is a very, very unique place. It's a very small school, um, 450 students. Um, it's It's got 2,600 acres of private property. So it's only 35, 40 minutes away from downtown St. Louis and the airport. But we have a huge campus that's just ours. Um, you know, the academic, athletic, and residential buildings are centrally located. They're not spread out across those 2,600 acres, but we are surrounded by gorgeous nature. Um, we're up on the bluffs overlooking the Mississippi River. Um, it is the, the feel of the school is that tight-knit community of a small school in an environment that is located on 2,600 acres of nature. It's, it's calm. It's enjoyable. It's peaceful. But it's also, it, it, it doesn't feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. You're 30 minutes away from the city. Um, and the, I think the biggest thing that sells that environment isn't the nature, isn't the campus, isn't the, we have phenomenal athletic facilities here. Um, uh, our D3 facilities outshine most D2s in the region. Um, it's the people. The people really make the environment. And it's a bit cliche to, to fall back on that. But when people <clears throat> come on the visit here, they, and they get to know people, they're instantly like, Everyone is so nice. We just had four recruits on a recruit weekend last weekend. Um, and they all walked away. And, and, and in our conversations on their way out, so I was like, you know, what did you like the most? And they're like, everyone was so nice. Like, not just the team, like random people in the class that I attended, the, the, the food workers in the cafeteria, the, the people in the dorms that I came across. I just couldn't believe how nice everyone was. And I was like, yep. That's what I felt too when I was when I was here. So it's it's an easy sell when we get people here on campus. They they really enjoy it. They love it, and the interest level goes way up. Um, the The challenge sometimes is getting people to a campus when it's a school of 450 students. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it feels very small. Um, but people come here and they they say often it doesn't feel as small as it sounds, um, and then they get to meet the people and they realize, oh, wow, I'm, I'm treated really well here. I like this feeling. I want more of that. You started off at the beginning talking about having three brothers, um, yeah. your mom and dad keeping you busy and all that type of stuff. How has that been for not just your parents, but for your brothers to see you kind of bouncing around, but then selling back at Presympia? What's it been like for your family to be, like you said, they're right there within, you know, 20, 30 minutes of, of games and such. Yeah. I mean, my parents love it, obviously, you know, they, they, they love having their kids local and they get to see them more often. Um, uh, when I was bouncing around, I don't think my brothers much cared. I mean, you know, we we're brothers, <laughs> we, we keep in touch. You catch, you catch up yeah. over holidays and this, that, and the other. Um, and obviously when big, you know, life events happen, someone's getting married, you know, those kinds of things, it, it, it brings you together. And those are fun things. Um, but, uh, uh, my brothers bounced around a little bit. Um, two of my three brothers uh, moved moved a little bit as well. Um, but my parents love having us nearby. They they attend as many of the games as they can. They you know they zoom into the ones that they can't. Um, 
And, uh, and it's nice to, to be able to like know that I can attend every holiday. Um, I missed a couple Thanksgivings when I was recruiting because Thanksgiving's recruiting events out East and out West. Um, and so in the Midwest, I can go to a recruiting event in St. Louis and pop over to my parents' house for Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but that wasn't as possible when I was out in Oregon or Virginia. So um, it's, it's nice to have familiarity and access. And, you know, when, when you're in your off season, you can just pop over for breakfast and pop over for dinner. Um, you know, go take your dog down and, and hop in the pool and, and swim in the summer. Um, it's, it's nice to have a slice of home when you do feel like you're working th- that many hours and you're, you're grinding um, to have those breaks and that family time. It's become more and more meaningful each, each year. You mentioned the recruiting at like an event in St. Louis you hear a lot of times that St. Louis is a hotbed of soccer talent. What is the soccer environment in that area? Oh, you're going to get me started here, aren't you? Um, <laughs> I have an obvious bias, so I will try to keep it as, <laughs> as unbiased as possible, which is it's not going to happen. Um, so they, when the U.S. men's national team was just playing Uzbekistan in town, they they put out a list of all the – St. Louis individuals who have represented the United States wearing the crest. And it was, I don't want to say it because I don't want to give the number wrong, but it was a ridiculously large percentage of people who have played for the USA men's and women's national team, particularly the men um, who are from St. Louis. Um, you know, just in my generation, Lori Kolopny and Be- Becky Sauerbrunn, both are St. Louis people who play with the national team. But, um, you know, right now you got Josh Sargent and Tim Ream, but in the 19, was it 50, 52, 1950, maybe, I think six or seven of the guys in the team, most of them starters, were all St. Louis boys. Um, so it, th- there's something in the town. <clears throat> and what a lot of soccer historians will say is it ties back to the Italian roots in St. Louis. Um, we've got something called the Hill, and it was um, uh, a community established by predominantly Italian families. And they brought a soccer culture over here with them that has ingrained itself um, particularly in national competition with SLU, with SIUE. Um, you know, in, in the 80s, I believe it was at some point, um, SLU won the D1 national title in the NCAA and SIUE won the D2 um, before they went D1. And so they started playing each other at Bush Stadium at something called the Golden Boot Game. And it would sell out Bush Stadium, um, just two local soccer teams. No pro team, no nothing, just college soccer. Um, and you know, now both of the women's teams of those two schools are in the national tournament regularly. Um, it's only gotten bigger since we had the USL team here, uh, with St. Louis FC. And then, then the addition of the MLS team just exploded and St. Louis city being in first place in the West, having the best inaugural season in the history of the MLS, um, selling out every single game, the, with in a city that doesn't have a football team that has a particular disinterest in football, given how we lost our football team, Mm -hmm. having soccer step in and fill that gap, you have a rabid sports hungry fan base that grew up being proud of its soccer, ready to absolutely take the American soccer culture by storm. Um, And so it's been a blast 
obviously I have a bias. I'm a soccer person and I think St. Louis is a soccer town. Um, uh, Sporting Kansas City would have you believe that they have soccer capital of the United States trademarked, but um, it's all it's all a ghost show. Um, but um, it's it's really one of those places that people just embrace it. They get it. And the youth soccer culture here um, was way ahead of its time. I think now soccer boys and girls, both youth soccer nationwide, there's so many more access to resources. There's so many clubs and teams and developmental academies that it's hard to say that, that St. Louis is the, you know, the hotbed of the youth development in the country. I'm sure at one point it was, um, but certainly from a passionate fan base um, place, it, it, it's up there for, for me. You talked about your year two, you had some, uh, quite a few freshmen playing and the learning curve has been large. What is your kind of big picture? What's your goal even beyond this year as you keep building and hopefully, you know, making Presympia a successful program? Um, it has to stay fun along the way. It's really important to me that soccer is something that continues to be enjoyed as you continue to improve and grow and get better and compete and, you know, add more and more tallies to that win column it still needs to be the best part of the, of these kids day. Um, it needs to be the thing that they look forward to. It needs to be the thing that they can escape the headaches of other parts of, of life and, and go to. Um, and that's, it's not always easy when, when you want to push development, when you want to compete and grow, it, it can be the, the tendency can be towards, being more serious about it. And certainly we want to, but you can still have a blast when you're being serious about something. You can still have a blast when you're training at a high level. And that's how I want it to stay. Um, we are going to continue to grow. Uh, the recruits that we're bringing in right now are so exciting. They're just talent. soaked. they're passionate, they're interested, they're high level students, they're real culture people. And those are the things that we really want to highlight and look for in our recruiting classes you know, not just people who are good soccer players, but they can balance and commit to their academics. They really value the culture that we have here and want to not just be a part of it and benefit from it, but contribute to it and add to it. Um, and the whole time, keep the idea of having fun. Just keep, keep on to that because <clears throat> so many young adults burn out of their passion for soccer because it becomes a job in college. And I never want it to feel like a job. It should feel like a real opportunity every day. So that's what we're really striving for as we continue to learn and grow to, to keep it enjoyable for them for all four years and really stave off that burnout until, you know, your mid thirties when your knees start to scream at you. <laughs> hey, that is a perfect way to shut this chat down. I've had an absolute blast with this. This is Karen coach's corner chats with Sam Thomas and I'm out. Peace. Peace. What a great chat. Thanks for checking it out. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Twitter at Coaches Let's Chat. Hit that subscribe button, and once again, if you get a chance, drop a review. It's super, super helpful. 
for growing the podcast. Have a good one. Peace.